the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, March the 29th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on March 29, 1974, eight Ohio National Guardsmen were indicted on federal charges stemming from the shooting deaths of four students at Kent State University. That was a time when there was a lot of demonstrating on college campuses going on. It got out of hand there for sure. That was today, 1974. Today in 1638, Swedish colonists settled in present-day Delaware. Today in 1812, the first White House wedding took place. Lucy Payne Washington, the sister of First Lady Dolly Madison, she married Supreme Court Justice Thomas Todd in the White House. Today in 1867, Britain's Parliament passed Queen Victoria signed it, by the way. The British North America Act creating the Dominion of Canada. That came following the that came into effect uh, the following July. Today, in 1912, British explorer Robert Falcon Scott had a was on a doomed expedition with his crew, stranded in an Antarctic blizzard after failing to be the first to reach the South Pole. He, the last words that he wrote in his journal, which they found later, said, For God's sake, look after our people. Today, 1936, German Chancellor Adolf Hitler, he claimed overwhelming victory in his plebiscite on his policies. Today, 1951, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were convicted in New York of conspiracy to commit espionage for the Soviet Union. They were executed in June of 1953. And today, 1970, 1973, the last U.S. combat troops left South Vietnam. That ended technically and I guess legally ended America's direct military involvement in the Vietnam War. We did have people there later. I was there the, the following year, as a matter of fact, and we did have people there. But officially, we ended our direct military involvement in the Vietnam War. Boy, that was a tough war on the nation and on everybody. Very tough, and some of the scars remain deeply in many people's lives. Yesterday was the Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. I'd like to just, each day this week, Easter is coming, next Sunday, each day this week I'd like to just give you a just a quick overview of what Jesus did on that day in his life. I thought that might be interesting. We'll talk certainly talk more about the impact of Easter and the risen Christ toward the end of the week. But let's just follow him each day. I'll tell you what he did that day from the Bible. This, I'm not making this up but uh, gives you an idea of how he went about his activities. Keep in mind that Jesus is God. He became God in the flesh. 
he knew what his mission was. He knew that he would end up on a cross, that he would give his life for the sins of the world. He knew that. So we'll take a look each day just very briefly at what he did on that day. Yesterday on Sunday, of course, on the triumphant entrance into the city, into Jerusalem, that was what he did. And then after the triumphant entrance, he uh, spent the night in Bethany. And on Monday, the day after the triumphant entrance, what we call Palm Sunday, on the next day, on the Monday, he left Bethany. He cursed the fig tree on the way into the city. He wept over Jerusalem. He cleansed the temple for the second time in his ministry. And late in the day, he looked into the temple again. Then he left the city. And he spent tonight in Bethany again. We'll come back to that tomorrow, and I'll tell you what he did on Tuesday. But let's look at what's going on in our world today. An illegal alien was convicted of multiple sex crimes. The national headline reads, including child sexual abuse. Because of the position, national news, that Washington and Oregon are taking as sanctuary states. Yeah, that's what we're doing. The story says that this Juan Manuel Enrique Martinez, 40-year-old illegal alien from Mexico, was deported from the United States this month after having lived in the country since at least 2015. The national story ties it to the fact that both Washington and Oregon are sanctuary states. In June of 2015, Enrique Martinez was convicted in Wasco County, Oregon, for attempting, you know, I'm not going to read, this is so crass. This is in a national news story. It's not in some, you know, brown magazine somewhere. I'm not going to read it, but it, it goes into detail. But it was for attempting to commit um, sexual abuse against a child. Then the story proceeds. Less than a year later, in January of 2016, Martinez was convicted in Clickitat County, Washington, for first-degree child molestation. The Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, in March of 2016, issued a detainer on Enrique Martinez as a result of his criminal act uh, convictions. ICE issues detainers against illegal aliens so agents can take custody of the suspects rather than having them released into the U.S. communities again. That's where we are in this country today in regards to the legal process. The Washington Department of Corrections transferred Enrique Martinez to ICE agents in February. He received a final order for removal the following month before being deported. Since late January... President Joe Biden's administration has drastically cut interior immigration enforcement, allowing illegal aliens who are not recently convicted, aggravated felons, terrorists, or gang members to evade arrest and deportation by ICE. The sanctuary country orders now by Biden are helping criminal aliens get released into the U.S. communities rather than being turned over to ICE agents. 
This is a growing cancer on America. We simply can't bring ourselves, whether it's the states of Washington and Oregon and now the nation, sanctuary country, that is the rules under which he's operating now, we can't bring ourselves to enforce the laws. And if we don't agree with the laws, we can't bring ourselves to change the laws. We just are simply paralyzed by progressivism and far-left policies. And that this is how this is why it matters that we become involved. And I hear too many people say, "I, oh, I, you know, what can I do? I'm just one person," and so on. Boy, every every person can be a candle in the darkness, as it has been said. That's much better than cursing the darkness. At least be a light where you live, where you are. You'll find things to do, but maybe it's just being a light. Just standing for what you stand for. But I'll tell you, we, we're in trouble from stem to stern in this country. We've got a problem. And the problem has been brewing for a very long time. But I will tell you that we, we're going to have to come to the point where we recognize it and good people come together and stand for what they really believe and know to be true, and that is the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God. Our founders knew that. We've got to know it in our day. These riots just continue to keep rolling along. Story this morning, Oregon, Salem police arrested several people. They were down at the the, uh, Capitol in Oregon, Salem, uh, last night, I guess. Uh, Violence. Antifa was there, heavily armed in the crowd, 200 people or more. Chaos unfolded. Some other people that were opposing them showed up. Police received reports that vehicles just driving past the Capitol were being struck with balloons filled with paint, and there were people with laser guns pointing the lasers in the eyes of the people driving cars that weren't even participating in what was going on there. This Andy No was there. He's a guy. He's based here in the Northwest. I think he lives in Clark County. I'm not sure because he goes back and forth between Seattle and Portland a lot. But he's also in national news. And he travels to Baltimore and he's been in Minneapolis uh, recently because of the trial there and all that. But he's um, he's a Vietnamese guy and he's been beaten up several times because they've kind of gotten onto who he is. He uh, he's kind of an interesting guy. I don't know a lot about him, but I know he shows up on Fox News. He's on Tucker Carlson from time to time, and he's in the the Northwest News quite often. I think he's been on Laura Ingram as well. Anyway, he's quoted in this article. It's a national article. He said uh, he was tweeting while he was right in the middle of this. He takes pictures and streams and, and all that kind of thing. He said uh, a rioting Antifa militant was nearly run over by a truck at the Oregon State Capitol in Salem. He said they're gathered here today with weapons. That was last night. He said they're throwing rocks at vehicles passing by. Police are not getting involved. They're standing by. Then a little while later, this Andy uh, No, he uh, tweeted again. He said uh, brought their flag, weapons, and riot gear, Antifa, to their violent protest gathering at Oregon State Capitol in Salem. And um, he was running videos. And then um, a little bit later, uh, he said, and others were saying by then, I'm looking at some of the tweets that were coming out last night, that the 
finally the authorities, the Oregon State Police and the Salem Police Department took over and started to kind of crowd manage and move people around. But this this is becoming the story of our country, particularly here in the Northwest and some of the Northeast uh, areas that are far uh, far left and progressive. We're living just, it's unbelievable. I mean, where do these people think this can end? It can't end well. If they don't take control and begin to enforce it, I mean, I know these guys finally took over, but, I mean, cities have burned for months. And these far-left elected officials in these far-left-leaning states, the majority, unfortunately, the city, doesn't matter whether it's Seattle, Portland, Minneapolis, the states are populated with conservative people, but the cities have become a magnet for far-left progressives. And they're destroying the culture, and they're destroying the cities and the states, for that matter, but particularly the cities where they rule and reign. Every day we hear these reports, and until we can figure out, first and foremost, we've got to come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And that's what this week is about. But we've got to understand that his word, he said, I am, I am the living word. But we've got to understand that the word of God gives us the blueprint for life. It gives us the pathway, not to destruction, but to wholeness and restoration and a peaceable and a productive kind of a culture. And until we can get to that point, until Christians can get to the point where it matters to, to them, where seven, eight, nine million people who identify as evangelicals vote for a Joe Biden? I mean, what's the matter with us? We're going to have to wake up or we're going to wake up someday and it'll be too late. We won't be able to retrieve it and turn it around. I don't think we're there yet. But we're certainly stumbling in that direction when you look at what's going on and the policies that are being put in place. I want to talk to you a little bit about basketball. And you say, Gary, I don't I don't care about sports. Well, this is not about sports. This is about a bigger story. But it's based in the March Madness basketball uh, tournaments going on right now. And these teams are playing, and it's a one-off elimination. I kind of follow it. I'm not watching a lot of it, but I watched a little bit of it the other day, <clears throat> and I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment over the weekend. But one of the one of the colleges in this tournament of the best basketball teams, college basketball teams, university teams in the country, is Oral Roberts University, or it was. They um, they have made they made it into the March Madness tournament, as it's called. And nobody thought they would. I, I wasn't paying any attention to them. I, I didn't have any thoughts on it until this came to prominence. And let me tell you a little story about what's going on there. And uh, I think we can take something from this, and it, it can strengthen us as we look at how this played out. But Saturday night, their championship tournament run came to an end. They narrowly lost to Arkansas, which is the third best team it was going into this tournament in the nation. They, they lost by two points. <clears throat> For those of you who don't care about basketball, that two points is a really close game in basketball. It is in any game, I guess, but certainly it is in basketball. 72 to 70. 
But the fact that Oral Roberts University even made the tournament surprised most sports fans across the country. As I said, I haven't been paying that much attention to it until this weekend. I looked at a little, watched a little bit of basketball uh, from that tournament. I didn't see this game, but I saw some others. But uh, the fact that they had made that tournament really came as a surprise to a lot of sports fans across the country who were more informed on sports than, than I was at the moment. But it was particularly challenging and enlightening to the um, informed sports announcers. But the bigger story that's emerged from this is that the team and their coach turned the attention toward Jesus Christ that was given, being given to them. In other words, every time they had an opportunity, not inappropriately, I watched quite a bit of video before I talked about this because I wanted to be sure I had the pulse, I had a handle on what really had happened because I wasn't watching it in real time. But I saw enough video. These these kids were not inappropriate, nor, nor was the coach. But they would share their testimony. They would say, well, the most important thing, what's more important to us even than winning basketball, and we love basketball and we want to win – but more important than that is serving Jesus Christ. Well, the left got tired of that message. They don't like that message. They don't want these kids saying that when they stick a microphone in front of them. And yet this team was winning. It shouldn't have even been in their minds in this tournament. So they had to kind of cover it because they couldn't not cover it. So that was kind of the kind of the the, the climate of, of this whole movement as it was moving forward. And this bigger story even then the fact that they were a winning team when nobody thought they would be at that level. They turned the secular left as they begin to have to cover them, begin to turn hell's wrath on the team, their coach, and even the institution itself. Faith under fire is what this became. As I was reading this, I, I remembered uh, something that C.S. Lewis had written and and predicted, and I'll come back to that in a moment. It seems like it may be more more current now than when C.S. Lewis wrote it in the 60s. We'll talk about that in a minute. I want to take a moment to thank you for your support. We need it. We wouldn't be on the air without it, and I think I know all of you who support us know that, and I think you know how deeply we appreciate it. We're humbled by your support. I want to thank you for it, and we need it each month. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. You can contribute online as well. Our website is faithandandfreedom.us. There's a lot of faith and freedoms out there now. Ours is .us, and you spell out and, A-N-D. And uh, you, there's a tab there you can contribute online. More and more people are doing that. Uh, it's easy. Even I can do it. I, I've tried it out a couple of times. We, My wife and I support this ministry, but generally I write a check. I don't do it online, but a lot of people are, and, and maybe I, I'll start doing that too soon. But anyway, thank you for your support. We need it. The ORU basketball team, I guess probably all of their sports teams are called the Golden Eagles. They started the game by dominating the third best team in the country in the first half of the, of the game. The sports announcers were groaning. They were trying to look unbiased, but they weren't. Arkansas was able to beat the Golden Eagles in the end of the game 
over the weekend by two points. Over the past week, Oral Roberts University's participation and success in this March Madness have shown the world that Christian colleges can play sports on an equal footing with their state and their secular university counterparts, the big boys. That was a problem to some of the people in the media. On March 19th, ORU beat Ohio State University in front of the world. Nobody saw that coming, especially Ohio State University. They were stunned. They thought, well, we can beat this, you know, Christian bunch from wherever, Oklahoma or whatever. After that, they defeated Florida. So here we are this weekend. Christians from many organizations and institutions like I became aware of what this team was doing, and they began publicly rooting for ORU because they're Christians. John Jackson is president of William Jessup University. It's one of the top private Christian universities in America. He wrote a commentary uh, over the weekend just before they had lost this game that I'm talking about to to Arkansas. And uh, this Dr. Jackson, the president of William Jessup University, he wrote, he says, we are all ORU now. In other words, we're all in, we're supporting ORU. But after the loss... The press tried to portray the ORU kids and their coach as downtrodden, disappointed, discouraged, broken, upset at themselves. These are words that I saw in the press. Upset at themselves for losing the game by only two points. That wasn't right. That I never saw any of that as I looked, and I spent some time on this. The guys, the guys weren't saying that. Every time they spoke to the press, they were upbeat. They said, we're very sad. We lost the game. It was close. It could have gone either way, blah, blah, blah. And the coach told the press, he said, our guys understand that they're not the most important thing in the world. (laughs) He said, and you need to know that too, he told the press very respectfully. And then the coach, this Paul Mills is the coach. He went on to say this, and I'm quoting him. He said 120 million people gather every Sunday and 180 million will gather on Easter uh, to celebrate one name, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. So to be at an institution that honors that, he said there is no other, they honor the fact that there is no other name uh, under heaven and earth uh, which men must be saved. He's quoting some version, I'm not sure which one, but that's what he said. To be at an institution that honors that and we can give them something to celebrate at the same time. He said, I'm just elated. However, even as Mills displayed modesty and humility, placing the attention and the focus on Jesus Christ for their national, you know, uh, national appearance, the players, the university, the coach are being openly mocked, even by CBS. I watched the video twice, just to be sure. While watching that video, I saw part of the game on it. I personally saw the CBS halftime crew mocking ORU as they talked about their win over Ohio State University. First of all, they couldn't believe they won, and on and on. How can these guys be that good? And we didn't know, and all that kind of thing. Because their egos are bigger than all outside, as we all know. But while they were doing that, Charles Barkley, who was a superstar in the NBA for years, now retired. He's a 
a talker on the on these you know halftime shows and stuff on the network. He was on there, and he had this smirk on his face while he was talking about this school, not about the school itself, but about what they believe. And even while he was talking, he raised his hands in the air and began shaking his hands and kind of mocking kids worshiping while he was talking about some of the things that the kids believe that go to that school. It's interesting. And it's disappointing. And I had to see that for myself because I wouldn't have thought that of CBS at the halftime, but he was. And some of the other guys there were going along with him. One guy wasn't going along with him. And I, I don't know the guy's name, but he was, I guess he's well-known in, in college basketball as a commentator. You could tell he was very uncomfortable. But for the most part, they were going along with Charles. They were kind of laughing, but it was kind of like, can we move on? Uh, let's get over this part about mocking these guys. People are watching us. We could lose our job. But no, they didn't lose their job. Not at all. Had that kind of rhetoric and that kind of mockery been directed at anybody else, whether it's homosexual activists or whether it's an ethnic uh, colleague somewhere, those guys would have been fired. But they can do it to Christians and nobody cares. I mean, no, that's okay. That's free speech. That was the tone around this, and that's why I'm talking about it today. There's no tolerance, inclusion, or equity for those Christians. This Amal Havari, she wrote in the USA Today, she captured the spirit of many in the press. She said, part of the joy of March Madness has always been watching smaller schools upset powerhouse programs. And yet as the spotlight grows on Oral Roberts University and it reaps the goodwill and publicity and revenue of the national title run, the university's deeply bigoted LGBTQ plus policies can't, policies can't and shouldn't be ignored. She said, founded by evangelist Oral Roberts, and she goes into all of that. She's, she informs that the school has been soundly mocked on social media and needs to be mocked publicly now because of their belief in holiness and their belief that marriage is between a man and a woman. She reads from the student handbook. She says they even condone or condemn homosexuality twice in their student ham, handbook. Students are expected to maintain the highest standards of integrity, honesty, modesty, morality. She's reading from their handbook. I'm saying, man, maybe Mike, you know, if I had a kid, maybe I'd say, I, I mean, they include theft, the things that they say the kids can't do, theft, lying, dishonesty, gossip, slander, backbiting, profanity, vulgarity, sexual promiscuity, including adultery and any homosexual behavior, premarital sex, drunkenness, immodesty, and dress and occult practices. That's what they're going after. They don't want anybody to believe that. They don't want anybody to stand for that. <clears throat> she goes on and on and on to the USA Today's millions of readers. But I was reminded of something that C.S. Lewis wrote just before he died in 1963. It was, you, you, you're familiar with the screw tape um, letters, it's Satan talking to his minions about how to bring down the moral people in the world, how to destroy them. And the screw tape letters. Screw tape is Satan, is the devil. Well, Lewis wrote just before he died, the screw tape proposes a toast. It was an extension of that. And in that, he talks about the fact that we, that they need to infiltrate the culture, the demons, 
and to bring down the beliefs and attack those who believe in righteousness and biblical truth. Well, there's more on that. You can read it on our website. But thanks for being with me today. It's always a pleasure. We'll continue our conversation tomorrow. We'll be talking about what's happening today and what happened yesterday.